Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Pastor. How many are glad to be in the house of God this morning? Amen. Amen. It's good to be here. It's good to be here in Louisiana. And thank you so much for this opportunity. And we know that today God has set this up. Isn't that amazing? That out of all of the world and all of the services being held around the world, that God is specifically looking at us right now because we have joined together as the family of God and we have invited the Holy Spirit into this place. And uh, it is truly a privilege to be here uh, in March I celebrated my 20-year milestone as an evangelist. I've been in full-time ministry now for 25 years. And uh, the only thing that says, that says nothing about this man or me personally, it has everything to do with my God. And uh, that is the only reason I'm able to stand up here and, and realize how faithful God is and the milestones that we all personally can look back and see the hand of God in each one of our lives. And uh, I, I grew up, I was born and raised in western Oklahoma, and the only reason ever to go back there is just to visit family and get out of there as soon as possible. I can assure you that. Uh, I, in fact, on Friday night, I was at the University of Oklahoma uh, watching my niece graduate from high school. And I'm just amazed now that just like my daughter a year ago, she had 990 in her class and we have to have coliseums to now graduate some of our high schools. And uh, it's just uh, amazing what was cool about Friday night. And if you follow me on Facebook, you'll see where I posted a picture of that thousands of people there to watch these kids graduate. But I, I had to remember when I got the chance to speak at Lloyd Noble Center there uh, where the basketball team of the University of Oklahoma plays. And uh, I believe that was back in 2003 doing the youth convention for Oklahoma, seeing that place not only filled for reasons of basketball and graduations, but also it was filled because people seeking after God. And isn't that the, the incredible testimony of God, that God wants to just uh, get a hold of our lives right in our world and wherever we walk. And I just praise God for this chance. I have a wonderful, beautiful wife. She usually travels with me this uh, trip. She was not able to come. Uh, but uh, we are full-time evangelists. Uh, this is uh, what we do. People sometimes come up and say, well, what's your real job? Well, this is my real job. I, uh, I just think that anybody that gets to do God's perfect will is the best job in the world, right? I, I hope you can say that. I mean, we need everybody in their calling. I mean, we can't all be one thing. Otherwise, we wouldn't eat or we wouldn't have anybody take care of us when we're sick or be able to buy our gasoline or whatever the case may be. So just make sure that every day that you wake up, you're in the center of God's will and then everything else will take care of itself. God will give you joy and peace and provision. Uh, so when I, uh, I went to a Bible college in Waxahachie, Texas, and I got a cross-cultural ministries major, just basically a missions major, I always thought I was going to be a full-time missionary. And so uh, you can realize how shocked I was. I was a youth pastor for five years in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And then one night I was sitting at home on a Friday night. I was previewing a video that I was going to show the youth ministry the very next uh, next Wednesday. And then that was my moment. That was my moment with God. That was my moment that God just jumped in the middle of 
my living room and got a hold of my life in a way that I never even imagined. And he spoke to me, he said on that Friday night, he says, I want you to step out in faith and I want you to become an evangelist and I want you to go around the world and share your testimony. And that was as, as a radically scary, just out of the blue moment, but it was my moment and it was my moment that I would never forget and would always be able to go back. Even in the tough times, the good times, the great times, I knew God called me to do that. And then the reason why it worked is because God was doing it and I wasn't doing it. Because if I would have known in advance that that's what I was supposed to do, then I would have tried to make it happen. And I would have just messed it up. But God says, watch what I do. So within three weeks, I had resigned the position as youth pastor. I, I was in a church house, so I had no house. I had no income. I had no health insurance, no retirement, uh, no salary. Nobody knew me except in North Texas area. And I started. And here we are. On March the 20th, 2016, I was able to stand there and proclaim the goodness of God because 20 years now has passed of that moment with God. And now we've been to over 55 countries around the world, six continents. We have crisscrossed the United States and all over the world sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I am the last person on the face of the earth would have ever believed that testimony. And, and so I just challenge you today that, you know what, there is... So many times we disqualify ourselves from what God sees and wants to do through us. And then even got crazier because I was in 1998. I was in Niamey, Niger. How many has ever been there? I see those hands. Yes. Niamey, Niger, a great vacation destination. I'm sure that you always have dreamed about going. No, definitely not. It is the... Is one of the, I've been all over Africa, and there's such beautiful, beautiful places in Africa, beautiful people, beautiful scenery, beautiful animals. But Niamey Niger is not one of those spots. It is like the armpit. It is so just sub-Saharan region. Uh, the people are just poor. There's nothing, you know. It's hard to grow anything. They just, it's just tough, tough life. And on a street corner in the middle of the day, standing on the street corner of the church that I was speaking the crusade at night, God got a hold of me and I had another moment with God. And that moment was a moment that I was for sure God got the wrong Facebook. He got the wrong Twitter account. He got the wrong cell phone. He got the wrong email. He got everything wrong. Because I saw some kids playing on the street, which was just, just sand. And they had barely any clothes and they were stick thin because they're so hungry and they had bare feet. But they found an old, worn out, deflated soccer ball. And if you would have ever tried to convince me that that was going to be one of the most life changing moments in my life, I would have never believed it because it was the most unassuming, just most crazy random moment that God would just completely mess my life up by saying, Ron, I want you to use soccer for the glory of God, and I want you to go around the world, and I want you to use soccer as a tool to reach children and their families for the kingdom of God. And I would have loved to tell you, oh, it was an awe moment, and angels came down, and there was music and all this stuff. No, it was like, God, how bad you have messed up this time, because I don't play soccer. I don't know how to play soccer. 
I don't know the rules of soccer. I grew up in western Oklahoma. And people in Louisiana understand that college football is it. There is no other sport. They can try. They can call themselves sports. But there is nothing like, come on, there's nothing like watching LSU football unless you can be saved and be from Oklahoma and watch University of Oklahoma football. Did I just lose everybody? Am I just getting ready to be like, we never heard of Ron Rhodes ever again. He was burned at the stake. He was put in some jumbo and we never heard of him again. No, seriously, we, you know, places like, you know, where I live and you, I grew up in a small town in America and the only football that I knew was Americano football and soccer just was not something that we thought about. And I said, God, I don't even know how. And he says, perfect. So many times now, people all over the world now know me as the soccer guy. Like, there's a lot of things that I could be known about, but not soccer is not one of them. One time we were, we were, we were busy, we were running late, we flew into Minneapolis airport. And we landed and we were trying to get to our rental car because we were, had to get to the event that I was speaking. And all of a sudden behind me, I hear somebody say, is that you? Is that you, Ron Rhodes? And I turned around and it was a Delta pilot in his full uniform. And he walked up and he says, aren't you the soccer guy? I mean, walk up and say, are you the evangelist? Yes. But soccer guy, Really? And it was really uh, uh, just one of those moments that I just had to chuckle because I'm like, it, God's humor sometimes is just amazing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm the guy known around the world as, an, as the guy that runs an international soccer ministry and I still can't play. And people ask me all the time, why did God ask you to be used in a soccer ministry? And I said, good question. So I went to God and I said, God, people are asking me, why in the world would God choose you to be used in a soccer ministry? And I said, God, they got a legitimate question. Why? I can't play. I don't know how to play. I don't know this word. I still don't understand offsides in soccer. And anybody that does has to have it like an engineering degree or something, you know? You are very smart. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, God, why? He says, I'll tell you why. This doesn't apply to every situation, but it applies in my situation. He says, the reason why I called you to be used in a soccer ministry is I knew you were not passionate about soccer. So you would never allow it to become about the soccer. But you're passionate about me. So you'll always keep it about me. Isn't it amazing when we just simply ask God and he simply gives us a simple answer, and it makes all the sense in the world. I came back to the United States from that trip, and I said, God, I don't have any idea what I'm doing, but he laid out the vision. He laid out there are certain things about this. This is what we do. Just real quick, this is what we do. We just did our 40th one, and this last one we did was in Osonorio, Chile. We've held them in Asia, Africa, Europe, North, Central, South America, and what we do is go, we go into a, a local community somewhere and we work with a local church. And our whole vision for this is to help that local church reach their community for Jesus Christ. 
This is not about soccer. It's about the gospel. We use the soccer as the tool. We give every kid a T-shirt. That's their ticket. That's how we know the ones we signed up are they going to be the same kids. Every day they have to wear their T-shirt so we know we got the right kids. It's usually 100 to 150 in each camp because we do very specific things for them. God says, feed them, feed them. These are poor kids. These are kids that live in third world countries. These are kids that unless we fill their bellies, we will never fill their hearts. Don't you, die, don't you dare try, Ron, to get away with what least you can get away. No, you, you, cook, you cook the best food you can get. You give them hot meals. You give them seconds and thirds. You pile their plates on. Do not just do what's easy. No cheeseburgers or hot dogs or pizza. No, you give them meat and rice and chicken and vegetables and salad and fruit. You give them the best. And I'm telling you, when churches catch on this, I remember one time in Chiclayo, Peru, uh, they found some real china to serve the kids their lunch each day at a soccer camp and i'm talking about these kids had never seen china we knew we would have some broken we knew it would be extra work to wash them as opposed to paper plates but that was the thing about god is when we give our best god's going to honor that and these kids have i never forget the times that they're coming back seconds and thirds and it's not because they want to eat more it's because they're running over and they're running across Across the creek and handed it to their mother because that's the only meal she'll have and he has brothers and sisters and that's happened around the world not only do we give them a t-shirt not only do we give them hot food every day not only uh, do we throw out thousands of pieces of candy we give out trophies and medals at the end but also God said give everybody a brand new a brand new Bible in their language and so now all over the world we have put Bibles into homes that have never had the word of God and no matter what that word will remain that word will be there it will be in homes that would have never been open to receive the bible but because we did it in a soccer salvation camp we were able to put the living active alive word of truth the heart of god into homes around the world we put them in muslim homes and buddhist homes and catholic homes and all kinds of homes we put them in atheist homes and now they associate that soccer camp with the word of god it is the word that will remain. And then every kid gets a brand new soccer ball. Now, if I could only try to communicate what that means, it's the last thing we do. It's the last thing. Every night we have a crusade. We reach the entire family, the entire community. Every time it's like standing room only, there are people just cramming in and begging to get in. And, and it, if we would have done it, just said, oh, we're just going to have church services. God would not have, we wouldn't have the favor to reach all those people. But because we use soccer and the very first time we did it, I came back from that trip in Africa and I called a buddy of mine that was a missionary in uh, Nicaragua. Uh, no, he was in Managua, Nicaragua. And I said, hey, Nathan, I don't know what I'm doing. This is what God showed me. Are you willing to do it? He says, yeah, let's try it. The word got out in Nicaragua and the government found out what we were going to do. And you're assuming right now that it was a negative thing. It was something they're going to try to shut down. No, it was the opposite. They found out what we were going to do and they offered us for free the national soccer stadium that will seat 30,000 people. We don't know how to teach soccer. That We're not there to teach soccer. They know how to play soccer. We're using it as a gift. But they sent six guys over on the government payroll 
that their jobs is to be on the soccer federation. So they sent six guys on government payroll from Nicaragua to come and help us train the kids in soccer. Isn't that amazing? And what we have seen now, I can tell you story, 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 story. I'll, I'll share some more tonight, but I know it's Sunday morning. We got time, but let's, let's listen to this. If there was ever a moment that God made it real to me, what we're doing is about the children and their heart. We were in Pueblo Nuevo, Honduras. It's a remote, remote village in northern Honduras. It was a village that the government didn't even do anything for. And the pastor would later tell me there's nothing bigger that's ever happened to our village than when you guys came in here and you did a soccer salvation camp and crusade. You have to understand when we hand out the soccer balls, it's like a million birthdays, Christmases, Happy New Year's, Happy Fourth of July's all at once. They start jumping up and down. They start laughing. They start crying. Tears streaming down their face because they always love soccer ball, but they never have a soccer ball. They roll up tape or anything like that. And we were feeding them one day for lunch, and there was all these children lined up, and they pulled over a little girl named Jenny. She was nine years old, and they said, let us, let us illustrate to who you are reaching this week. Nine-year-old Jenny, they pulled her over. They said, let us tell you about her life. Her life is that her parents are so poor that the plan that they came up with to make extra money is to offer their little girl to the men in the village. And night after night of Jenny's life, men from the village would come by and pay the equivalent of 50 cents to her parents and then take her out and rape her and then drop her off that later that night in a crumbled mess on the porch. And if there's ever been a moment that God made it personal what we're doing, he let me know that even though the children in third world countries, the poor children of the world, they're not on radars. They're not on the map. They're not getting a lot of attention. But they have the heart of God. And he said, bring the children to me. Children are special to God. And that's why he said, you do this unique ministry. So not only do you reach the children, but you reach their families and you reach their neighbors. And let me tell you, it was that moment that I realized and I'll never forget the last night of the crusade and I gave the altar after sharing my testimony and I looked down because Jenny had just run down and she's grabbed a hold of me and she's weeping and crying and I realized at that point, church, that she didn't need just somebody to come along and be a charity. She didn't need just another meal or a t-shirt or even a new house. She didn't need just somebody to do something special for her. She needed the only gift the only thing that would ever give her hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. Only thing. Every one of these, we have to raise $20,000 per. We have to rent soccer fields. We have to rent buses. We, we get trophies, medals, food, T-shirts, Bibles, soccer balls. We have done 40. We average more than two a year. And we've done them in places like Bangkok, Thailand, where on a Saturday afternoon is a church is filled to capacity with moms and dads that are Buddhists and Muslims. And they're begging us to share the gospel to them because we're using soccer as a ministry. We 
have went into uh, places that are devastated by earthquakes and tsunamis and literally the cities were wiped off the map but God gave us favor with the government so much like in Chile where the, the head general of the military of all of the country of Chile landed his helicopter on the soccer field that we were holding the camp we pulled everybody off he was there for five minutes and before he left they hand delivered a letter from him saying thank you so much for what you're doing for this community and for the country of Chile and I am the head general of all the military of the country of Chile and if you ever need anything here's my personal assistance number thank you so much so I don't know if I'll ever need an M16 or a helicopter in Chile but I've got favor and I got access now to the head come on I've God's God's got favor amen The only way we can do this, only way we can buy thousands of Bibles and soccer balls and T-shirts and meals so that that church and that community has a chance to reach them is when people of God here in America say, you know what, I want to be involved. I want to do something. Right now, our, our, our place that we're trying to reach for our, our, our budget for the 41st one, it, we need immediate $6,800 to reach toward that next step. And so thank you for hearing from God. And the only reason I share this is because God said, I'm, I'm bringing people alongside you that are going to help you so that you can go do what you've been called to do and that's why we're we've done this 20 years we've we've done over 40 soccer salvation camps and we're going to do many many more please find us on our facebook our website ronroads.org you can see the pictures hundreds of pictures of the thousands of children that we're reaching around the world and i am really i'm passionate about this but i'm really passionate about what god's getting ready to speak to us this morning so open your heart and receive what god has for you Thank you so much. I want you to stand for the reading of God's word, if you would. Turn with me to Luke, Luke chapter 7. Now, as you know, I am a southern preacher, so I count on crowd participation. So how many have your amens warmed up? How many have your amens ready to go? Amen? I don't care if you hand clap, stand up, shout. I don't care. But let, just how many is going to get in there and help me preach this morning? Amen? God's going to do something here special. Man can't do anything, but God can do everything. Amen. Uh, Luke chapter 7, verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain. Nain means pleasant. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. And in quotation marks, notice in your word, in quotations, it says, God has come to help his people. Isn't that a great promise from the word of God this morning? God has come to help us. 
Even if the government lets you down, your family lets you down, even if the church lets you down, even if your neighbors let you down, even if you wake up and nobody's come to help you, God, the creator of the universe, has come to help you. And that's a promise that you can grab hold of every day that you wake up. No matter, even though the whole world be against you, God, the creator of the universe, has come to help you. And if God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? If God's come to help us, Nothing can get in that way. Father, I pray right now for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you would completely take control of this service because this service is all about you and we pray your will be done. We come against every strategy of darkness and the flesh and the enemy that would try to distract us. There are some that walked in here this morning and they are so stressed. They are so overwhelmed. They are thinking about other things in their lives. But God, I pray right now for the next few moments that you would capture our attention. Lord, that you would literally capture us in a supernatural way. And before we leave this room, that we will have experienced the supernatural dynamic presence of the Holy Spirit, that lives will be touched and changed. People will be healed and delivered and whole. And if there be anyone that does not know you and your love and your grace, that they would experience your forgiveness. God, we declare that this is your time and these are your people and this is for your glory. God, I pray right now that there would be such a strong anointing that, Lord, that you would begin to do even miracles before it is even time for the altar. God, that you would literally grab a hold of hearts and you would bring encouragement in the name of Jesus. God, may your word that is alive and powerful pierce our hearts right now for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Um, just the last few days, I'm always traveling, always on a plane, always, you know, I, I've, I've had the chance to, uh, uh, you know, travel around the world and travel all over the U S and always on planes and going different places. And last week, uh, last weekend I was in Florida, uh, and, uh, I, I had gotten to my hotel, Late Saturday night, they took me to uh, Disney uh, last Saturday, and we went to watch Cirque du Soleil. Uh, and I got in and was going to preach the next morning, and then fly out that afternoon to go back home. and And I turned on the television, and the movie uh, about Marshall, that movie about the football team that they all died in the plane crash after losing the, have you seen that I, I just i'd never seen it but something grabbed a hold of my attention because that whole that community was just overwhelmed with all kinds of funerals because so many people died that day on that plane crash and it was showing uh lines of hearses and there was something that grabbed my attention because I grew up in a small town in western Oklahoma. And there was something that I always knew and understood that you see in small town America that I can assure you for the 28 years I lived in Dallas did not happen. But when you saw a funeral procession, a long line of cars with their headlights on and the hearse in the front and maybe a policeman uh, on a motorcycle or a car and their lights are going, there is one thing that we knew small town America and that I saw illustrated on that movie is that people would pull over to the side of the road. 
there was an honor and respect for that family that was grieving. There was honor and respect for those friends and family that were getting ready to bury someone. And so I got to thinking about this story. This story is about a funeral procession. And God began to reveal that maybe this mother that is grieving and brokenhearted, maybe she illustrates a lot of us here this morning and many times in the church that we have just went through the most devastating time of our life. People say they understand, but they don't understand. This woman is getting ready to bury her little boy. He's died. They're headed to put him in the ground. She's already experienced death before in the most personal way because the Bible says she's a widow. So she's lost her husband as well. So maybe, just maybe, this woman is where so many times we get in life when life just hurls the fiery darts at us and we go, I cannot do anymore. I can't face anymore. God, I lost my job. God, I lost my husband. I lost my wife. I lost my child. I'm broke. My business is failing the stock market wiped out my retirement portfolio. The price of oil has tanked my company and I'm searching and I don't have any money and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I look every time when I go home and the cupboards are empty and the refrigerator is empty and the bills are stacking up from the hospital and the doctor and I can't afford my prescriptions and everything seems out of control. God, how in the world can you not know who I am and where I am? This woman no doubt prayed. She no doubt prayed, God, heal my husband, and yet he died. She no doubt prayed, God, please heal my boy. I, he's all I've got left. Please, Jesus, I beg you. I, I ask right now, you say you healed and heal my little boy. And yet now she's looking at the coffin of her dead little boy. And maybe she has begun to question, maybe there is no God. Maybe God doesn't love me. Maybe I'm too bad of a person to even get the attention of God. Maybe I deserve this. God, maybe, maybe you, you, you haven't heard me. Maybe you don't even know who I am. Maybe you don't even know where I am because God, I prayed and I weeped and I cried out and yet I am looking at the coffin of my dead little boy. And it is at that moment that so many of us in this room can identify. In fact, if we were honest, we would all be able to identify at certain times in our life that it feels like we are banging our head up against the wall and nothing's happening. It feels like Jesus is a million miles away. Maybe he just doesn't listen to my prayers. And at this moment, as they're headed to the grave, there's another procession at the exact same time that intersects with this funeral procession. Just by coincidence, right? 
Isn't it amazing when God shows up and reveals himself that we think it's by accident? According to Scripture, he was in Capernaum the day before. That's 27 miles. 27 miles by foot in one day is extraordinary, but it illustrates that God was on a mission, and it was important for him to be there at the exact right time. You see, the problem is, is so many times we allow the situation to dictate the outcome because if we are already had the funeral and the dead body is already in the casket and we are already headed to the grave, then in our mind and according to our watch, it's too late. There are situations represented in this room right now that everything about the situation would say, it's too late, move on, deal with it. But God's the only one that gets to say when it's done. Because He is the life giver. He is the one that speaks life. He is the one that overcomes death. He is the one that says no. Think about, think about Lazarus. Have you ever thought about Lazarus? I mean, this was his personal friend. And the sister sent word, you got to come now because Lazarus is sick. And yet Jesus didn't come. And you have to wonder sometimes, in our little man mind sometimes, we look at these things and we, we think God looks at it in the same way, but God just sitting up there, just, just take it all in. He's like, okay, what can I do that will give my son more glory? Our approach is, what can I do to not to have experience any more pain than I have to? Right? So heal him. Don't let him die. But God's saying, what can I do to get more glory? I mean, anybody can be healed. Come on. It would even made the Bible. We wouldn't even heard about Lazarus if Jesus would have just came and healed him. But it changes when you go from being healed to being raised from the dead. I mean, think about this. Jesus was like, oh, I can show up and pray for him, him be healed. But man, let's wait until it really gets the attention. It's a really big story. I mean, just think about what happens if he's already in the grave for three days. He already stinks. Nobody wants to go. That's when I want to get involved so I can show people that there is no situation that is too far gone. And can you imagine if Jesus wouldn't have done this this way? Carmen would have never even had a chance. Lazarus, come forth. And some of you are like, Carmen Electra? Carmen. I just, I'm looking down. There's some people at least my age. They're going, oh yeah, Carmen. Can you imagine singing a song? Lazarus, be healed. No, it's much better when he's already in the grave and he stinks. And so Jesus shows up that day to this mother, this grieving and brokenhearted, and he walks right over to the mother. He's going to get involved. Can I, can I tell you good news this morning? Jesus is not afraid to get involved in our funeral processions. 
Everybody else is going, oh, it's too much, it's too difficult, it's, it's too far gone, it, it, it's too twisted. Let me tell you, everybody else is running the other way, but God says, get me right in the middle of that because that's where I want to be. That Your situation, in other words, does not intimidate our God. He walks over to this mother. Now, anybody that doesn't think that Jesus is brave, then I just show you this story. Because if you're brave enough, Jesus, to walk up to a mother that she has prayed that you would heal and show up earlier so he wouldn't have to die, and now you show up, that's brave. Can you imagine him walking right up to the mother? And she's like, oh, oh, yeah, now you show up. She takes her purse, just starts, Jesus, nice of you to show up now when it's already too late. He's already dead. That mother had everything to do with the outcome as much as Jesus did. That mother is you. That mother is me. You can look at the situation and you can give up and you can quit and you can think it's over and you can begin to listen to the voices of suicide. You can listen to the voice to go out and get drunk and go back to the things of this world. Or you can recognize one thing. Jesus Christ is standing next to me. He is the life giver. He's the resurrection. He is the power. He is life. She could have said, get out. You let me down. I prayed that you would heal him and now he's dead. Get out. And Jesus would have honored that and that little boy would have remained dead. I wonder how many things spiritually get buried alive that God's ready to speak life into it again. Come on. There's too many things. There's too many marriages that God wants to restore. And it's only because you think because you're looking at the divorce decree that it's already over. You think because it's already went to the courts that it's already over. You think because the bankruptcy papers have already been signed, the foreclosure notice has already been signed. You think because you got the report from the doctor that it's already cancer that you think it's too late. But you got to understand, you may be looking at the casket. You may even be looking at the grave. But what you got to understand is Jesus Christ is standing right there and if you give him the liberty and you begin to believe then God is the one that says it's not over there are some things that God says it's not time to be buried alive come on church come on you got to know that God's not here to tease you and mess with you this morning. This is a rhema word for somebody. Right now, the tears are already starting to come because you walked in here today thinking it's over and it's history and God's just telling you with His love and His word, I'm standing here and all I need you to do is let me do what I do. Let me do what I will do. So, here's... Here's the moment. Here's the moment as I drop my water. God says, uh, I, I got to speak something. So this is what, out of all the things that Jesus could have said, he says, don't cry. What? Don't cry? Jesus? Is, is the sun, the heat getting to you? Like, what part are you missing about this? Uh, this, 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 
grieving brokenhearted mother is sitting here. She's already lost her husband, and now she's lost her boy. And 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 you walk up as all-knowing, all-wise God, and you walk up and you say, don't cry. God, what, what are you doing? You've got to show me something. Why would you walk up to a grieving, broken-hearted mother and say, don't cry? Isn't that the way it is? <laughs> Us church people, you're going through the most difficult time of your life. I mean, your house burned down on Saturday night and you come to church and some well-meaning brother or sister in Christ just walks up to you and pats you on the back and says, don't cry, it's going to be okay. Oh, come on, buck up, little buckaroo, you know, it's all going to be okay. Do you know what happens when that happens to me? I want to operate in the gift of slap. See, some of you just got, you got, you just got a rhema word from God. You just got true. You said, I didn't even know that was a gifting, but I want to be using that gifting. And I want to operate with authority in that gifting. Come on, right? Come on, take your super spiritual hats off. Come on, we're just friends. We're family. Walk up to me and say, don't cry. I'll make you cry right now. Knock you. God wasn't doing that. What was he doing then? Let me explain something. I'm a dad. Love being a dad. Anybody that would know me, if you knew me, that if all I got in life was one child, I wanted a daddy's little girl. Come on, there's got to be some dads with some daddy girls in here. I always wanted to have a little girl that would crawl up in my lap and say, I love you, Daddy. I wanted to be the one that would walk her down the aisle one day at her wedding. So you can imagine how excited and elated I was to find out that I was having a little girl. And it was really special. I'll never forget the day that she was born. And in fact, that day and many days after, for weeks and weeks, I, I would say something to her. I said, Taylor, I want to make a deal with you. If you say Dada is your first word, I'll take care of you. <laughs> if you don't, you're on your own. <laughs> Guess what? She said Dada as her first word. And trust me, that's already costing me. So you can also imagine from elation to brokenness when one day my little baby girl in her, in her high chair eating lunch started to have a seizure. And we took her to the hospital and they ran an MRI. And when we got the phone call the next day, it was a Thursday, and the nurse of our pediatrician said, the doctor needs to meet with you guys after her last appointment at 5 o'clock today. Please come in. Let me tell you, if you don't know, doctors don't have you come in after their last patient at 5 o'clock in the evening to tell you good news. I'll never forget that day we walked in and we sat down and holding our baby girl in our arms and to hear the words the doctor say, we're so sorry, but your daughter has a rare incurable disease. She has so many tumors in her brain that we can't even count them all. They're in her heart and they're in the other organs of her body. 
and they will continue to wipe her life away every day. There will be more problems, and we do not have the cure, and there is no surgery, and there is no medicine. We are sorry. Take her home. Enjoy what time you have with her. And I walked out of that pediatrician's office that day. Mind you, our pediatrician, she had been a pediatrician in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for 20 years, and never once had she ever had one case of this rare genetic disease that my daughter was diagnosed with. And I walked out in that parking lot holding my baby girl in my arms, and the tears came very freely, and I just stood there. I was presented with a situation that you and I are all presented with at situations and times in our lives, and that is, what are you going to pay attention to? What are you going to notice? What's going to every day that you wake up? What is your focus? Is it the coffin? Is it headed to the grave? Or is Jesus standing there? And we had a choice. We had two choices. We could focus on the rest of our life every day that we woke up and we were blessed with our daughter another day. We could focus on the fact that she has a rare incurable disease and there's nothing the doctors can do. Or we had another choice, and that is we happen to know that Jesus Christ is the cure to the incurable. And so it's really quite simple, even though there's nothing simple about the situation. I remember one of the first surgeries she's had. She was a, she was just a baby. She couldn't understand. We couldn't explain anything. And, and, and so I remember when they came and got us after the surgery was over and they said, she's in the recovery room and you're welcome to come in there now. And when we open the door and we look and we see something that no parent, no mom or dad would ever want to see, but we saw our little baby girl laying there on the table and she was crying her eyes out. Her eyes were big as saucers. She was so afraid. She was so scared and she was crying because she was in a, she was in a place that she did not know. She was surrounded by strangers, even though they were there to help her. And she was feeling the pain of the surgery. She was feeling the effects of the anesthesia. And do you know what a parent does? You know what a daddy does in those moments? I could not get across the room fast enough. And I scooped my baby girl up in my arms. And even though she's crying and so scared, uh, I scooped her up and I began to say to her so naturally, Taylor, don't cry. Daddy's here. Daddy's here. It's going to be okay now. I'm going to take you out of this place of pain and fear. And immediately when I scooped her up in my arms, it was arms that she knew she was familiar with. It was a smell that she was familiar with. It was a voice that she was. And I said, you don't have to be strong anymore. You don't have to worry. Because now daddy's got you. I got you. I'm taking you out of this place. You don't have to be strong. You don't have to have all the answers. Now daddy's going to be everything that you need me to be. And if there was ever a moment that God illustrated to me what God was saying and doing at this moment in this scripture, in this story, it was what Jesus was illustrating. It's exactly what this dad did. He stepped out of heaven and he stepped in the middle of a funeral procession and he just picked up his little girl in his arms and he was saying, don't cry because daddy's here. I am life. I am resurrection and I am joy and I'm going to turn this situation now. And you know what, God? He's telling somebody here today. He understands the emotional needs 
of your life. Before he ministered to the physical need, he ministered to the emotional need. We have so many people that are emotionally broken and hurt in our churches today. And God is saying to each one of you, he's saying he loves you and he cares about you. I'll never forget the day I was 33 years old. And I went into the doctor for the first time with some symptoms. Within a matter of a few hours, he had sent me to have a test. And then he said, there is no appointment. You will just walk into the specialist office, which is on the floor above where you're going to have your test. And within a matter of hours, I'd already had a test. I'd already seen my regular family doctor. And now I'm sitting in a urologist specialist office. And he walks in and he says, hello, Ron. My name is Dr. Raul Diaz and you have cancer. I'll never forget that moment. I'm too young. I got too much to do. How could I have cancer? He did the surgery in just a few days. Said, go live your life. We got her early four months later. I had some follow-up tests. He called me the next day. He says, Ron, I'm so sorry, but your cancer's not gone, but it's spread into your lymphatic system, and we got to start immediate treatment or you'll die. That night, I was flying to London to speak for the weekend. And that night, when the whole plane was asleep and it was dark and I was flying over the Atlantic, I was sitting there on my laptop typing my death letter to my family because all I knew at that point was I was dying and it was very serious and it already spread and I probably wouldn't survive. I got back from that trip and I went in for my treatment and anybody in this room that went through radiation, you'll understand what I'm getting ready to describe. But for the next four and a half weeks, Monday through Friday, every day, I would go into the radiation treatment room. They would lay me on the table. They would get me prepared. Everything would be set. And then everybody has to leave the room because nobody can stay in there. You can't stand the heat. You're not supposed to be in there. And everybody would leave and a huge steel vault door would clang shut just like in a bank vault and it would contain the radiation it would contain the poison and it was at those points for those weeks that the enemy would come in and lie to me and say Ron Rhodes you are on your own funeral procession you are headed to a grave you're going to die you will not see your child you will not do another soccer salvation camp you will not preach another message I've got you you are headed to the grave and at those moments that I would weep and cry and be so overwhelmed and so sick and so worn down that's when I found out that my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ knows exactly where the radiation treatment room is in Medical City Hospital in Dallas, Texas and when everybody else would have to leave and nobody else could stand the heat that's when my Lord and my Savior comes in and he would come in every day and he would say Ron Rhodes don't cry daddy's here I'm going to take care of it and today I stand here today and I am completely cancer free because my God is my healer one year ago on June 8, 2015, my daughter, 18 years old, gets to walk up on her stage of her high school graduation. She is alive and well today. God is our healer. Come on, everybody stand. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray right now that through the power of the Holy Spirit you would do what only can do. God, that day you stood between the coffin and the grave and those carrying that young man and that coffin stopped. And God, you revealed something to me that you are wanting to reveal to this group. 
When you put your hand to that coffin, the devil has to take his hand off. When you put your hand to the coffin, to our situation, death, pain, sickness, darkness, temptation has to take its hand off.